0: been converted through the ministry of this congregation. Bobby Harrington made his way to Harding University, eventually completed a, a master's degree there at Harding, and came back here where he was eventually hired to preach for this congregation. And so he was here through the middle 80s and into the early 90s, And during that time, there was some real transition that took place within this church. The church did well. It grew. They eventually bought this building and moved to this place. And then there was a time in the middle 90s when Bobby decided that it was time for him to make a move, so he moved to Tennessee. We were a little surprised that God went with him there, but it seems as though he did. We thought he would have only been with Bobby here. But God blessed him there, too, and things have gone well. He he preached for the Otter Creek Church in Nashville for a while. He's now planted a church, Harpeth Community Church. And his ministry has expanded. He has continued to have uh, impact on churches and church planting across North America. And he's excited about the things that are going on right now, uh, especially with church planting, and with a ministry called Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho, with which we're quite familiar. And this morning, Bobby's going to talk both in the class uh, and in our assembly just about the kind of things that our church needs to do in order to move forward and do the work that God wants us to do in our place. So we're very grateful that Bob's here with us. Brother, we really are. Thank you very much for coming, and we're ready for you to address us, sir.
1: Make this work. Thanks, Kelly. Okay, here's... I want to... Kelly asked me to share with you what's changed since the early uh, 90s uh, in terms of ministry and all that. And I can tell you one thing that hasn't changed... You guys still sit way back when somebody's teaching, (laughs) so I would like to ask. It's really weird to try to teach when everybody's sitting way back there, so I know it's awkward and I know you don't want to do it, but would you stand up and come down closer here so we can at least try to have eye contact? Thank you, Mana Ecugee. You are always a good example. Yeah, 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 I know. Come on. It needs to be more dialogical, so Marshall Hare, do you have to sit back there? You do, huh? Okay. <laughs> um, well, I really look forward to uh, spending time with you today. I do want to say up front uh, by way of encouragement to uh, Kelly and the elders that uh, to, to really make the switch that you guys are making to relational discipleship is really cool and really good and really right. And uh, I'm going to talk more about this. But to have Jim Putman here for two days, for Monday and Tuesday, it's like awesome. Um, Because I really believe that the kind of Christianity that we're going to be talking about uh, today and tomorrow and the next day is uh, the best viable future, period. Um, And there's a lot of reasons for that, and I hope we'll get to unpack that over the next couple of days. But it makes me really encouraged to know that, uh, that the church here wants to learn about that and to engage in all that. And that uh, I can share it with you because I love you guys and care very much for you. Um, We do live in in changing times. Uh, The world is changing faster than we realize. It's faster than I realize. And uh, wise people who really want to follow Jesus and make an impact are always trying to figure that out. So I'd like to talk to you some things that that I've learned. But how about we pray first? Does that sound good? Uh, God, as uh, we come before you this morning... I pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would be present within me and within the hearts and minds of those who hear and as we discuss. And I pray that the things that are true and right and good and wholesome and Christ-like would just predominate. And that we'd all um, leave here this morning and uh, over the next couple of days really, actually I pray that we'd be really different. And I pray that you'd really draw us into this path that we're going to be talking about. Fully, wholly, and completely. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, ah, I have So much I want to say. So in places to go, well, I'll tell you what. There's a handout uh, that uh, Kelly uh, gave, and hopefully you've got that because I'm going to follow that. It's called A Changing World, Changing Local Churches. Um, some of you don't know me, and and I don't know you, but I'll just... Tell you a little bit. Uh, so I grew up in Calgary. Uh, in fact, my parents still live in the same house that I grew up in. So it's really cool to be there every time to come back and see how things change. I'm 52 years of age now. They've lived in that same house I think for 50 years. Where's my dad? How long? We, how long have we lived in the house? Since 62. Since 62. Okay, since I was four. So 48 years they lived in the same house. Went to Lord Beaverbrook High School. So I was driving by it the other day. It was really cool to see it. Um, Canada has changed a lot. Um, you know, uh, the other night my dad and I went to a movie, and we were walking out of the movie, and there was uh, two women just really fondly holding one another and loving on each other. And, um, you know, you could tell the kind of relationship that it was. And, and I found myself having to be real careful how I described it because there are some folks in my family now who who, my extended family, who struggle with the same issues. And we live in just a radically different context today than we did uh, even 20 years ago. One of the things that I do is I coach leaders of churches in the United States. Uh, So I'll get leaders from churches in California to uh, Washington, D.C., to uh, Chicago, and we'll get together. And, uh, you know, we'll kind of coach them through the main issues that churches are dealing with. One of the biggest issues is that people in my generation think very differently about Christianity than, say, the millennial generation. The handout that I've given you describes the differences between baby boomer Christians and millennial Christians. And I'd kind of like to walk that through with you. Um, uh, Children who were born from 1978 through 2000 would be millennials. So I'm a baby boomer. My kids are millennials. My uh, son is uh, 24. Uh, some of you know, know Chad because he came, This, I mean he still identifies with this church and uh, um, I was thinking the other day of the story when he was, uh, Roberta Watts was teaching the book of Job and she was a brand new school teacher and she worked really hard and prepared really hard and she was teaching my son and his other kids the book of Job and she spent the whole class talking about the book of Job, and then afterwards she said to Chad in front of the whole class, well, what do you think about Job? And Chad said, who's Job? <laughs> well, he can read about Job now in uh, 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 Hebrew. He's uh, been a seminary student, and uh, so he's, he's doing well. My daughter's a speech therapist. And uh, I've talked a lot with my kids because they feel like, and, and I think this is true both in Canada and the United States, that their generation, the Millennials, think very differently about uh, following Jesus than my generation did. So let me walk you through these eight transitions. What I'd like to do as we go through this, if you have questions, I'd like you to raise uh, questions uh, so we can we can talk. What time are we supposed to be done? 10.30. 1030. Oh, so we've only got about 35 minutes. 10.40? forty? <laughs> okay. Well, let, let's uh, uh, let's let's walk through it. Um, actually, let me just mention some. Some I want to see if you guys connect with some. How, how many people here have read Shane Claiborne? Okay, Sh- just three, two. Okay, Shane Claiborne, uh, Francis Chan. Okay. <laughs> uh, I do want to recommend a guy named David Platt. Wrote a book called Radical. That every concerned Christian today about following Jesus should read, because it's a really good representation. Okay, well, some of this I'm going to have to educate, I'll just try to explain things as we go through. Let me give you the first transition, from serving in the church to serving in the community. Michael Reed has always been one who's really concerned about this, and I think really speaks for a generation. It's uh, Christians in my generation, it was like you wanted to get people to serve in the church because the church is, you know, Bill Hybel's. This guy used to describe it this way, the church is the hope of the world, and so you want to serve in the church, have a great children's ministry, great music, great greeters, and all those kinds of things. The emerging generation doesn't care so much about that. It's moved from serving in the church to serving in the community. Um, We'll make this a little clearer as we go along. Secondly, from an evangelism focus to a social justice focus, from uh, being concerned that we win lost people to Jesus, to a concern that we serve people the way Jesus would, that we love people the way that Jesus would, that we love the world, the hurting, and the needy the way that Jesus would. Uh, Canadians, in particular, uh, tend to have a high social conscience. Uh, So millennial Canadians, in particular, care very much that the church be involved in social justice, in ministering to the needs of the poor and, and the hurting. One of the ways that's expressing itself, by the way, is this new thing called the missional church. Have you ever heard that expression, missional church? Raise your hand if you have. Okay, good. A missional church, the idea is that uh, changing from a focus where Jesus, uh, in Matthew 28, described the Great Commission as make disciples of all nations, they, they instead turn to John 20, where Jesus said, most people can't quote it. I had to memorize it to quote it. As the Father sent me, so I send you. So how did the father send Jesus? Well, Jesus moved into communities or went and he built relationships with people and he served uh, the poor. He uh, uh, ministered to the sick. He cast out demons. He uh, ministered to the needs of people. So kind of the, the new way of thinking about it is let's be missional. Let's serve people the way that Jesus served people. Now, there's a weakness that goes along with that. that I'll come. I'll just go ahead and mention it right now. So so the idea of moving from an evangelism focus to help people come to Christ to a social justice focus where we're doing good, we're helping people. Uh, By the way, the uh, millennial generation, it's embedded in who they are. And uh, in what I'm about to describe, I am not describing pulling away from who they are. I'm describing joining who they are. And hopefully giving some healthy emphasis. And here's what I mean by that. Um, It is right to say that Jesus and the Bible are very concerned about the poor. And I would say if we're being really candid and honest, most Bible-believing Christians haven't cared enough about the poor. So the emerging generation care very much about those things. And they're going to be involved in expressing their faith that way, probably as a primary thing. If you add to that a postmodern culture where we all want to be tolerant and we all want to not overstate the case, and we all know how sincere and genuine Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus are, if you put a social justice focus with a lack of clarity about who's saved and who's lost, guess what happens? You create a movement of people who really love and do good but who are timid about saying that you need to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and turn to him or you're eternally lost. It's, it's just not being said because it's perceived that there's not a good context which you can be committed to the poor and the hurting and the, and, and the unjust and say that at the same time. So, i think it 's really important to engage in that um, The, so, the, the uh, desire for social justice won 't change. Let me keep going from number three, which is tied to it, from uh, doctrinal clarity to embracing doctrinal ambiguity um, If you it, it, part of this uh, forgive me for giving broader terms and and uh, coming across with some intellectual categories that really don 't matter anything in the end but We are coming out of a period where people really emphasized education and knowledge and facts. And the churches did the same, right? So the idea was, especially in our heritage in the restoration movement, it was to know the Bible, understand the Bible, get your doctrine right, and hold to the correct doctrine. Does does anybody agree with that? Does does that connect with you? Okay, that's kind of of the background. Uh, And that was partly, honestly, a reflection of the culture that we lived in. For many Canadians, science was king, right? And so you wanted to be a rational, logical person. I remember at Lord Beaverbrook High School when I first learned biology. And my biology teacher actually uh, had the Bible. She read the book of Genesis and she said, some people believe this. And she closed it and she said, now I'd like to tell you about evolution. And uh, rational thinking people believe this kind of stuff. And so it was kind of this thing that um, to be um, the kind of person you wanted to be, you wanted to have clarity, clarity of thought doesn't matter so much anymore. It's uh, in a postmodern world, we all know the complexities and the ambiguities and you can't be sure about this and you can't be sure about that. So in churches now, what you're finding is that people are moving from doctrinal clarity to embracing doctrinal ambiguity. It's not that people reject doctrine. It's just that the doctrines that mattered so much to us with their tidy neat packages don't matter as much because the millennials know that oftentimes those were overstated cases that people act like they had more certainty about things than they actually did. Number four, from church program development to development of the individual Christian. Uh, Baby boomers, we used to love to build uh, bigger and better churches and strong church programs with strong preaching, strong worship, children's ministry, student ministries, and the like. We wanted to be the best possible church we could be, right? Right? Now the idea is that the church would be the best possible people that we could be for the benefit of the community. Not so much about the church as the individual. How is this impacting me? You all, by the way, more and more think that way. Um, Our culture has trained us to be consumers, and so we all come to church with, what am I going to get out of it? And uh, we have raised a generation who automatically think according to marketing and And, um, you know, what's best for the consumer, what's best for me. And that's the attitude we come to church. Who cares so much about the church? What's happening to me? Number five, from church-centered to kingdom-of-God-centered. Now, it used to be that people thought those are one and the same thing. From church-centered to kingdom-of-God-centered. If I say kingdom-of-God, can somebody help me with what I mean by that? I think you all know what it means to say church. Church is the focus. If you're a Christian of your life... To the kingdom of God now being the focus? Universal church. Okay, universal church? Yes. Um, an environment where God is the ruler, mm-hmm. He is in charge, or people's lives are, about, are, are done in the way that He wants it to be done. You nailed it. <laughs> She's got it. the kingdom of God. One of the ways to think about it is the kingdom is the reign and rule of God. So if the kingdom is the reign and rule of God, wherever God reigns and rules, that's the focus of God's heart. So if God is reigning and ruling in what I do at work, I want to express In fact, God wants to do that, right? God wants to reign and rule in the way I conduct myself in my family, at work, with my neighbors, that that's the kingdom of God. And I want to live out the kingdom of God. It's a biblical theology that is really biblical, but was not often talked about in the past. Okay, so there's a shift now from not so much talking about the church to the kingdom of God. And it's in many ways, it's really a healthy shift because the kingdom of God is so much broader than the church. Number six, from programming excellence, from programming excellence. Now, this is a bit of a paradox here, but you uh, used to think in the church you want to have the best preaching, the best music. When I when I, I remember thinking, do I ever want to go into ministry? I don't know if I'm a good enough preacher, you know. And if I'm not a good enough preacher, then I shouldn't do it. My son is wrestling with this a little bit, I think, as well. You